Chapter Seven of the Joyous Adventures of Aristide Pujol by William John Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Adventure of the Miracle. You have seen how Aristide, by attaching himself to the Hotel du Soleil et de l'Ecosse as a kind of glorified courier, had founded the Agence Pujol as he personally was the agence and the agence was he it happened that when he was not in attendance at the hotel the agence faded into space and when he made his appearance in the vestibule and hung up his placard by the bureau the agence at once burst again into the splendour of existence apparently the fitful career of the agence pujol lasted some years whenever a chance of more remunerative employment turned up aristide took it and dissolved the agence whenever outrageous fortune chivied him with slings and arrows penniless to paris there was always the agence waiting to be resuscitated it was during one of these periodic flourishings of the agence pujol that aristide met the ducksmiths business was slack few guests were at the hotel and of those few none desired to be personally conducted to the louvre or notre dame or the monument in the place de la bastille they mostly wore the placid expressions of folks engaged in business affairs instead of the worried look of pleasure-seekers my good Bocardon said aristide lounging by the bureau and addressing his friend the manager this is becoming desperate in another minute i shall take you out by main force and show you the pont neuf at that moment the door of the stuffy salon opened and a travelling briton whom aristide had not seen before advanced to the bureau and inquired his way to the madeleine aristide turned on him like a flash sir said he extracting documents from his pockets with lightning rapidity nothing would give me greater pleasure than to conduct you thither my card my tariff my advertisement he pointed to the placard i am the managing director of the agence pujol under the special patronage of this hotel i undertake all travelling arrangements from the moulin rouge to the pyramid and as you see my charges are moderate the briton holding the documents in a pudgy hand looked at the swift gestured director with portentous solemnity then with equal solemnity he looked at bocardon monsieur ducksmith said the latter you can repose every confidence in monsieur aristide pujol humph said mr ducksmith after another solemn inspection of aristide he stuck a pair of gold-rimmed glasses on his fleshy nose and perused the documents he was a fat heavy man of about fifty years of age and his scanty hair was turning grey his puffy cheeks hung jowl-like giving him the appearance of some odd dog a similarity greatly intensified by the eye-sockets the lower lids of which were dragged down in the middle showing the red like a bloodhound's but here the similarity ended for the man's eyes dull and blue had the unspeculative fixity of a rabbit's his mouth small and weak dribbled away at the corners into the jowls which in their turn melted into two or three chins he was decently dressed in grey tweeds and wore a diamond ring on his little finger Umph, said he at last and went back to the salon as soon as the door closed behind him aristide sprang into an attitude of indignation did you ever see such a bear if i ever saw a bigger one i would eat him without salt or pepper mais nom d'un chien such people ought to be made into sausages blague mais britannique laughed bocardon 
half an hour passed and mr ducksmith made no reappearance from the salon in the forlorn hope of a client aristide went in after him he found mr ducksmith glasses on nose reading a newspaper and a plump black-haired lady with an expressionless face knitting a grey woolen sock why they should be spending their first morning and a crisp sunny morning too in paris in the murky staleness of this awful little salon aristide could not imagine as he entered mr ducksmith regarded him vacantly over the top of his gold-rimmed glasses i have looked in said aristide with his ingratiating smile to see whether you are ready to go to the madeleine madeleine the lady inquired softly pausing in her knitting madame aristide came forward and hand on heart made her the lowest of bows madame have i the honour of speaking to madame ducksmith enchanted madame to make your acquaintance he continued after a grunt from mr ducksmith had assured him of the correctness of his conjecture i am monsieur aristide pujol director of the agence pujol and my poor services are absolutely at your disposal he drew himself up twisted his moustache and met her eyes they were rather sad and tired with the roguish mockery of his own she turned to her husband are you thinking of going to the madeleine bartholomew i am henrietta said he i have decided to do it and i have also decided to put ourselves in the charge of this gentleman mrs ducksmith and i are accustomed to all the conveniences of travel i may say that we are great travellers and i leave it to you to make the necessary arrangements i prefer to travel at so much per head per day he spoke in a wheezy solemn monotone from which all elements of life and joy seemed to have been eliminated his wife's voice though softer in timbre was likewise devoid of colour my husband finds that it saves us from responsibilities she remarked and overcharges and the necessity of learning foreign languages which at our time of life would be difficult during all our travels we have not been to paris before owing to the impossibility of finding a personally conducted tour of an adequate class then my dear sir cried aristide it is providence itself that has put you in the way of the agence pujol i will now conduct you to the madeleine without the least discomfort or danger put on your hat henrietta said mr ducksmith while this gentleman and i discuss terms mrs ducksmith gathered up her knitting and retired aristide dashing to the door to open it for her this gallantry surprised her ever so little for a faint flush came to her cheek and the shadow of a smile into her eyes i wish you to understand monsieur pujol said mr ducksmith that being i may say a comparatively rich man i can afford to pay for certain luxuries but i made a resolution many years ago which has stood me in good stead during my business life that i would never be cheated you will find me liberal but just he was as good as his word aristide who had never in his life exploited another's wealth to his own advantage suggested certain terms on the basis of so much per head per day which mr ducksmith declared with a sigh of relief to be perfectly satisfactory perhaps said he after further conversation you will be good enough to schedule out a month's railway tour through france and give me an inclusive estimate for the three of us 
as i say mrs ducksmith and i are great travellers we have been to norway to egypt to morocco and the canaries to the holy land to rome and lovely lucerne but we find that attention to the trivial detail of travel militates against our enjoyment my dear sir said aristide trust in me and your path and that of the charming mrs ducksmith will be strewn with roses whereupon mrs ducksmith appeared arrayed for walking out and aristide having ordered a cab drove with them to the madeleine they alighted in front of the majestic flight of steps mr ducksmith stared at the classical portico supported on its corinthian columns with his rabbit-like unspeculative gaze he had those filmy blue eyes that never seemed to wink and after a moment or two turned away ah, said he mrs ducksmith dutiful and silent turned away also this sacred edifice aristide began in his best cicerone manner was built after a classic model by the great napoleon as a temple of fame it was afterwards used as a church you will observe and if you care to you can count as a conscientious american lady did last week the fifty-six corinthian columns you will see they are corinthian by the acanthus leaves on the capitals for the vulgar who have no architectural knowledge i have memoria technica for the instant recognition of the three orders cabbages corinthian horns iconic anything else doric we will now mount the steps and inspect the interior he was dashing off in his eager fashion when mr ducksmith laid a detaining hand in his arm no he said solemnly i disapprove of popish interiors take us to the next place he entered the waiting victoria his wife meekly followed i suppose the louvre is the next place said aristide i leave it to you said mr ducksmith aristide gave the order to the cabman and took the little seat in the cab facing his employers on the way down the rue royale and the rue de rivoli he pointed out the various buildings of interest maxime's the circle royal the ministere de la marine hotel continental two expressionless faces two pairs of unresponsive eyes met his merry glance he might as well have pointed out the marvels of kubla khan's pleasure dome to a couple of guinea pigs the cab stopped at the entrance to the galleries of the louvre they entered and walked up the great staircase on the turn of which the winged victory stands with the wind of god in her vesture proclaiming to each beholder the deathless ever-soaring ever-conquering spirit of man and heralding the immortal glories of the souls wind-swept otherwise by the wind of god that are enshrined in the treasure-houses beyond there said aristide oh no head said mr ducksmith passing it by with scarcely a glance would it cost very much to get a new one asked mrs ducksmith timidly she was three or four paces behind her spouse it would cost the blood and tears and laughter of the human race said aristide that was devilish good wasn't it remarked aristide when telling me this story he always took care not to hide his light under the least possibility of a bushel the ducksmiths looked at him in their lacklustre way and allowed themselves to be guided into the picture galleries vaguely hearing aristide's comments scarcely glancing at the pictures and manifesting no sign of interest in anything whatever 
from the louvre they drove to notre dame where the same thing happened the venerable pile standing imperishable amid the vicissitudes of centuries the phrase was that of the director of the agence pujol stirred in their bosoms no perceptible emotion mr ducksmith grunted and declined to enter mrs ducksmith said nothing as with pictures and cathedrals so it was with their food at lunch beyond a solemn statement to the effect that in their quality of practised travellers they made a point of eating the food and drinking the wine of the country mr ducksmith did not allude to the meal at any rate thought aristide they don't clamour for underdone chops and tea so far they were human nor did they maintain an awful silence during the repast on the contrary mr ducksmith loved to talk in a dismal pompous way chiefly of british politics his method of discourse was to place himself in the position of those in authority and to declare what he would do in any given circumstances now unless the interlocutor adopts the same method and declares what he would do conversation is apt to become one-sided aristide having no notion of a policy should he find himself exercising the functions of the british chancellor of the exchequer cheerfully tried to change the ground of debate what would you do monsieur ducksmith if you were king of england i should try to rule the realm like a christian statesman replied mr ducksmith i should have a devil of a time said aristide i beg your pardon said mr ducksmith i should have a ah i say pardon i should he looked from one paralyzing face to the other and threw out his arms Pableu, said he i should decapitate your mrs grundy and make it compulsory for bishops to dance once a week in trafalgar square tiens i would have it a capital offence for any english cook to prepare hashed mutton without a license and i would banish all the bakers of the kingdom to siberia ah your english bread which you have to eat stale so as to avoid a horrible death and i would open two hundred thousand cafes mon dieu how thirsty i have been there and i would make every english work girl do her hair properly and i would ordain that everybody should laugh three times a day under pain of imprisonment for life i am afraid mr pujol remarked mr ducksmith seriously you would not be acting as a constitutional monarch there is such a thing as the british constitution which foreigners are bound to admire even though they may not understand to be a king must be a great responsibility said mrs ducksmith madam said aristide you have uttered a profound truth and to himself he murmured though he should not have done so nom de dieu nom de dieu de nom de dieu after lunch they drove to versailles which they inspected in the same apathetic fashion then they returned to the hotel where they established themselves for the rest of the day in the airless salon mr ducksmith reading english newspapers and his wife knitting a grey woolen sock mon vieux said aristide to bocardon they are people of a nightmare they are automata endowed with a faculty of digestion ce sont des gens invraisemblables paris provided them apparently with no entertainment they started after a couple of days aristide duce and aspici pujol on their railway tour through france to aristide a pilgrimage of unimaginable depression they began with chartres continued with the chateau of the loire and began to work their way south 
Nothing that Aristide could do aroused them from their apathy. They were exasperatingly docile, made few complaints, got up, entrained, detrained, fed, excursioned, slept, just as they were bidden. But they looked at nothing, enjoyed nothing, save perhaps English newspapers and knitting, and uttered nothing by way of criticism or appreciation when Aristide attempted to review the wonders through which they had passed. They did not care to know the history, authentic or pujolique, of any place they visited. They were impressed by no scenes of grandeur, no corner of exquisite beauty. To go on and on, in a dull, non-sentient way, so long as they were spared all forethought, all trouble, all afterthought, seemed to be their ideal of travel. Sometimes Aristide, after a fruitless effort to capture their interest, would hold his head, wondering whether he or the ducksmith couple were insane. It was a dragonfly personally conducting two moles through a rose garden. Once only, during the early part of their journey, did a gleam of joyousness pierce the dull glaze of Mr. Ducksmith's eyes. He had procured from the bookstall of a station a pile of English newspapers, and was reading them in the train, while his wife knitted the interminable sock. Suddenly he folded a daily telegraph, and handed it over to Aristide, so that he should see nothing but a half-page advertisement. The great capitals leaped to Aristide's eyes, Ducksmith's delicate jams. I am the Ducksmith, said he. I started and built up the business. When I found that I could retire, I turned it into a limited liability company, and now I am free and rich and able to enjoy the advantages of foreign travel. Mrs. Ducksmith started, sighed, and dropped a stitch. Did you also make pickles? asked Aristide. I did manufacture pickles, but I made my name in jam. In the trade you will find it an honoured one. It is that in every nursery in Europe, Aristide declared, with polite hyperbole. I have done my best to deserve my reputation, said Mr. Ducksmith, as impervious to flattery as to impressions of beauty. Pecaire, said Aristide to himself, how can I galvanise these corpses? As the soulless days went by, this problem grew to be Aristide's main solicitude. He felt strangled, choked, borne down by an intolerable weight. What could he do to stir their vitality? Should he fire off pistols behind them, just to see them jump? But would they jump? Would not Mr. Ducksmith merely turn his rabbit eyes, set in their bloodhound sockets, vacantly on him, and assume that the detonations were part of the tour's program? Could he not fill him up with conflicting alcohols and see what inebriety would do for him? But Mr. Ducksmith declined insidious potations. He drank only at mealtimes and sparingly. Aristide prayed that some Thais might come along, cast her spell upon him, and induce him to wink. He himself was powerless. His raciest stories fell on dull ears. None of his jokes called forth a smile. At last, having taken them to nearly all the historic chateaux of Terrain, without eliciting one cry of admiration, he gave Mr. Ducksmith up in despair, and devoted his attention to the lady. Mrs. Ducksmith parted her smooth black hair in the middle, and fastened it in a knob at the back of her head. Her clothes were good and new, but some desolate dressmaker had contrived to invest them with an air of hopeless dowdiness. 
at her bosom she wore a great brooch containing intertwined locks of a grandfather and grandmother long since defunct her mind was as drearily equipped as her person she had a vague idea that they were travelling in france but if aristide had told her that it was japan she would have meekly accepted the information she had no opinions still she was a woman and aristide firm in his conviction that when it comes to love-making all women are the same proceeded forthwith to make love to her madame said he one morning as she was knitting in the vestibule of the hotel de faisans at tours mr ducksmith being engaged as usual in the salon with his newspapers how much more charming that beautiful grey dress would be if it had a spot of colour his audacious hand placed a deep crimson rose against her corsage and he stood away at arm's length his head on one side judging the effect magnificent if madame would only do me the honour to wear it mrs ducksmith took the flower hesitatingly i am afraid my husband does not like colour she said he must be taught cried aristide you must teach him i must teach him let us begin at once here is a pin he held the pin delicately between finger and thumb and controlled her with his roguish eyes she took the pin and fixed the rose to her dress i don't know what mr ducksmith will say what he ought to say madame is a bountiful providence i thank thee for giving me such a beautiful wife mrs ducksmith blushed and to conceal her face bent it over her resumed knitting she made woman's time-honoured response i don't think you ought to say such things mr pujol ah madame said he lowering his voice i have tried not to but que voulez-vous it was stronger than i when i see you going about like a little grey mouse the lady weighed at least twelve stone you who ought to be ravishing the eyes of mankind i feel indignation here he thumped his chest my provencal heart is stirred it is enough to make one weep i don't quite understand you mr pujol she said dropping stitches recklessly ah oh, madame he whispered and the rascal's whisper on such occasions could be very seductive that i will never believe i am too old to dress myself up in fine clothes she murmured that's an illusion said he with a wide-flung gesture that will vanish at the first experiment mr ducksmith emerged from the salon daily telegraph in hand mrs ducksmith shot a timid glance at him and the knitting needles clicked together nervously but the vacant eyes of the heavy man seemed no more to note the rose on her bosom than they noted any point of beauty in landscape or building aristide went away chuckling highly diverted by the success of his first effort he had touched some hidden springs of feeling whatever might happen at any rate for the remainder of the tour he would not have to spend his emotional force in vain attempts to knock sparks out of jellyfish he noticed with delight that at dinner that evening mrs ducksmith still wearing the rose had modified the rigid sweep of her hair from the mid-parting it gave just a wavy hint of coquetry he made her a little bow and whispered charming whereupon she coloured and dropped her eyes and during the meal while mr ducksmith discoursed on bounty-fed sugar his wife and aristide exchanged across the table the glances of conspirators after dinner he approached her madame may i have the privilege of showing you the moon of terrain 
she laid down her knitting bartholomew will you come out he looked at her over his glasses and shook his head what is the good of looking at moonshine the moon itself i have already seen so aristide and mrs ducksmith sat by themselves outside the hotel and he expounded to her the beauty of moonlight and its intoxicating effect on folks in love wouldn't you like said he to be lying on that white burnished cloud with your beloved kissing your feet what odd things you think of but wouldn't you he insinuated her bosom heaved and swelled on a sigh she watched the strip of silver for a while and then murmured a wistful yes i can tell you of many odd things said aristide i can tell you how flowers sing and what colour there is in the notes of birds and how a cornfield laughs and how the face of a woman who loves can outdazzle the sun chère madame he went on after a pause touching her little plump hand you have been hungering for beauty and thirsting for sympathy isn't that so she nodded you have always been misunderstood a tear fell our rascal saw the glistening drop with peculiar satisfaction poor mrs ducksmith it was a child's game enfin what woman could resist him he had however one transitory qualm of conscience for with all his vagaries aristide was a kindly and honest man was it right to disturb those placid depths was it right to fill this woman with romantic aspirations that could never be gratified he himself had not the slightest intention of playing lothario and of wrecking the peace of the ducksmith household the realization of the saint-like purity of his aims reassured him when he wanted to make love to a woman pour tout de mon it would not be to mrs ducksmith ah said he to himself i am doing a noble and disinterested act i am restoring sight to the blind i am giving life to one in a state of suspended emanation i am playing the part of a soul reviver and parbleu it isn't jean or jacques that can do that it takes an aristide pujol so having persuaded himself in his southern way that he was executing an almost divine mission he continued with a zest now sharpened by an approving conscience to revive mrs ducksmith's soul the poor lady who had suffered the blighting influence of mr ducksmith for twenty years with never a ray of counteracting warmth from the outside expanded like a flower to the sun under the soul reviving process day by day she exhibited some fresh timid coquetry in dress and manner gradually she began to respond to aristide's suggestions of beauty in natural scenery and exquisite building on the ramparts of aguilheme daintiest of towns in france she gazed at the smiling valleys of the charente and the saint stretching away below and of her own accord touched his arm lightly and said how beautiful she appealed to her husband um, said he once more it had become a habit she exchanged glances with aristide he drew her a little farther along under pretext of pointing out the dreamy sweep of the charente if he appreciates nothing at all why on earth does he travel her eyelids fluttered upwards for a fraction of a second it's his mania she said he can never rest at home he must always be going on and on how can you endure it he asked she sighed it is better now that you can teach me how to look at things 
good thought aristide when i leave them she can teach him to look at things and revive his soul truly i deserve a halo as mr ducksmith appeared to be entirely unperceptive of his wife's spiritual expansion aristide grew bolder in his apostolate he complimented mrs ducksmith to his face he presented her daily with flowers he scarcely waited for the heavy man's back to be turned to make love to her if she did not believe that she was the most beautiful the most ravishing the most delicate-souled woman in the world it was through no fault of aristide mr ducksmith went his pompous unseeing way at every stopping-place stacks of english daily papers awaited him sometimes while aristide was showing them the sights of a town to which by the way he insisted on being conducted he would extract a newspaper from his pocket and read with dull and dogged stupidity once aristide caught him reading the advertisements for cooks and housemaids in these circumstances mrs ducksmith spiritually expanded at an alarming rate and correspondingly dwindled the progress of mr ducksmith's sock they arrived at perigueux in perigord land of truffles one morning in time for lunch towards the end of the meal the maitre d'hôtel helped them to great slabs of pate de foie gras made in the house most of the hotel-keepers in perigord make pate de foie gras both for home consumption and for exportation and waited expectant of their appreciation he was not disappointed mr ducksmith after a hesitating glance at the first mouthful swallowed it greedily devoured his slab and after pointing to his empty plate said solemnly Bleu. like oliver he asked for more thought aristide astounded is he too developing a soul but alas there were no signs of it when they went their dreary round of the town in the usual ramshackle open cab the cathedral of st foin extolled by aristide and uh, restored by abadie a terrible fellow who has capped with tops of pepper casters every pre-gothic building in france gave him no thrill nor did the picturesque tumble-down ancient buildings on the banks of the jordan nor the delicate renaissance facade in the cool narrow rue de lille we will now go back to the hotel said mr ducksmith but have we seen it all asked his wife by no means said aristide we will go back to the hotel repeated her husband in his expressionless tones i have seen enough of perigueux this was final they drove back to the hotel mr ducksmith without a word went straight into the salon leaving aristide and his wife standing in the vestibule and you madame said aristide are you going to sacrifice the glory of god's sunshine to the manufacture of woolen socks she smiled she had caught the trick at last and said in a happy submission what would you have me do with one hand he clasped her arm with the other in a superb gesture he indicated the sunlit world outside let us drain together cried he the loveliness of perigueux to its dregs greatly daring she followed him it was a rapturous escapade the first adventure of her life she turned her comely face to him and he saw smiles round her lips and laughter in her eyes aristide worker of miracles strutted by her side chokeful of vanity they wandered through the picturesque streets of the old town with the gaiety of truant children peeping through iron gateways into old courtyards venturing their heads into the murk of black stairways talking on the part of aristide with mothers who nursed chuckling babes on their doorsteps 
crossing the thresholds hitherto taboo of churches and meeting the mystery of coloured glass and shadows and the heavy smell of incense her hand was on his arm when they entered the flagged courtyard of an ancient palace a stately medley of the centuries with wrought ironwork in the balconies durelles oriels exquisite renaissance ornaments on architraves and a great central gothic doorway with great window openings above through which was visible the stone staircase of honour leading to the upper floors in a corner stood a medieval well the sides curiously carved one side of the courtyard blazed in sunshine, the other lay cool and grey in shadow. Not a human form or voice troubled the serenity of the spot. On a stone bench against the shady wall, Aristide and Mrs. Ducksmith sat down to rest. "'Voila!' said Aristide. "'Here one can suck in all the past like an omelette. They had the feeling for beauty, those old fellows.' "'I have wasted twenty years of my life,' said Mrs. Ducksmith, with a sigh. Why didn't I meet someone like you when I was young? Ah, you don't know what my life has been, Mr. Pujol. Why not Aristide when we are alone? Why not, Henriette? He, too, had the sense of adventure, and his eyes were more than usually compelling, and his voice more seductive. For some reason or other, undivined by Aristide, over-excitement of nerves, perhaps, she burst into tears. Henriette, Henriette, ne pleurez pas! his arm crept round her he knew not how her head sank on his shoulder she knew not why faithlessness to her lord was as far from her thoughts as murder or arson but for one poor little moment in a lifetime it is good to weep on someone's shoulder and to have someone's sympathetic arm around one's waist pauvre petite femme and is it love she is pining for she sobbed he lifted her chin with his free hand and what less could mortal apostle do kissed her on her wet cheek a bellow like that of an angry bull caused them to start asunder they looked up and there was mr ducksmith within a few yards of them his face aflame his rabbit's eyes on fire with rage he advanced shook his fists in their faces i've caught you at last after twenty years i've caught you monsieur cried aristide starting up allow me to explain he swept aristide aside like an intercepting willow branch and poured forth a torrent of furious speech upon his wife i have hated you for twenty years day by day i have hated you more i've watched you watched you watched you but you sly jade you've been too clever for me till now yes i followed you from the hotel i dogged you i foresaw what would happen now the end has come i've hated you for twenty years ever since you first betrayed me mrs ducksmith who had sat with overwhelmed head in her hands started bolt upright and looked at him like one thunderstruck i betrayed you she gasped in bewilderment my god when how what do you mean he laughed for the first time since aristide had known him but it was a ghastly laugh that made the jowls of his cheeks spread horribly to his ears and again he flooded the calm stately courtyard with the raging violence of words the veneer of easy life fell from him he became the low-born petty tradesman using the language of the hands of his jam factory no he had never told her he had awaited his chance now he had found it he called her names aristide interposed his southern being a throb with the insults heaped upon the woman 
say that again monsieur he shouted and i will take you up on my arms like a sheep and throw you down that well the two men glared at one another aristide standing bent with crooked fingers ready to spring at the other's throat the woman threw herself between them for heaven's sake she cried listen to me i have done no wrong i have done no wrong now i never did you wrong so help me god mr ducksmith laughed again and his laugh re-echoed round the quiet walls and up the vast staircase of honour you'd be a fool not to say it but now i'm done with you here you sir take her away do what you like with her i'll divorce her i'll give you a thousand pounds never to see her again cried aristide more incensed than ever at this final insult mrs ducksmith deadly white swayed sideways and aristide caught her in his arms and dragged her to the stone bench the fat heavy man looked at them for a second laughed again and sped through the porte cochere mrs ducksmith quickly recovered from her fainting attack and gently pushed the solicitous aristide away merciful heaven she murmured what is to become of me the last person to answer the question was aristide for once in his adventurous life resource failed him he stared at the woman for whom he cared not the snap of a finger and who he knew cared not the snap of a finger for him aghast at the havoc he had wrought if he had set out to arouse emotion in these two sluggish beasts he had done so with a vengeance he had thought he was amusing himself with a toy cannon and he had fired a charge of dynamite he questioned her almost stupidly for a man in the comic mask does not readily attune himself to tragedy she answered with a desolate frankness of a lost soul and then the whole meaning or the lack of meaning of their inanimate lives was revealed to him absolute estrangement had followed the birth of their child nearly twenty years ago the child had died after a few weeks since then he saw and the generous blood of his heart froze as the vision came to him that the vulgar half-sentient rabbit-eyed bloodhound of a man had nursed an unexpressed dull implacable resentment against the woman it did not matter that the man's suspicion was vain to aristide the woman's blank amazement at the preposterous charge was proof enough to the man the thing was real for nearly twenty years the man had suffered the cancer to eat away his vitals and he had watched and watched his blameless wife until now at last he had caught her in this folly no wonder he could not rest at home no wonder he was driven iowise on and on although he hated travel and all its discomforts knew no word of a foreign language knew no scrap of history had no sense of beauty was utterly ignorant as every single one of our expensively state-educated english lower classes is of everything that matters on god's earth no wonder that in the unfamiliarity of foreign lands feeling as helpless as a ballet dancer in a cavalry charge he looked to cook or lun or the agence Pujol to carry him through his uninspired pilgrimage for twenty years he had shown no sign of joy or sorrow or anger scarcely even of pleasure or annoyance a tortoise could not have been more unemotional the unsuspected volcano had slumbered to-day came disastrous eruption and what was a mere laughing crying child of a man like aristide pujol in front of a ducksmith volcano what is to become of me wailed mrs ducksmith again 
ma foi said aristide with a shrug of his shoulders what's going to become of any one who can foretell what will happen in a minute's time tiens he added kindly laying his hand on the sobbing woman's shoulder be comforted my poor henriette just as nothing in this world is as good as we hope so nothing is as bad as we fear voyons all is not lost yet we must return to the hotel she uh, weepingly acquiesced they walked through the quiet streets like children whose truancy had been discovered and who were creeping back to condign punishment at school when they reached the hotel mrs ducksmith went straight up to the woman's haven her bedroom aristide tugged at his van dyke beard in dire perplexity the situation was too pregnant with tragedy for him to run away and leave the pair to deal with it as best they could but what was he to do he sat down in the vestibule and tried to think the landlord an unstoppable gramophone of garrulity entered by the street door and bearing down upon him put him to flight he too sought his bedroom a cool apartment with a balcony outside the french window on this balcony which stretched along the whole range of first-floor bedrooms he stood for a while pondering deeply then in an absent way he overstepped the limit of his own room frontage a queer sound startled him he paused glanced through the open window and there he saw a sight which for a moment paralyzed him recovering command of his muscles he tiptoed his way back he remembered now that the three rooms adjoined next to his was mr ducksmith's and then came mrs ducksmith's it was mr ducksmith whom he had seen suddenly his dark face became luminous with laughter his eyes glowed he threw his hat in the air and danced with glee about the room having thus worked off the first intoxication of his idea he flung his few articles of attire and toilette necessaries into his bag strapped it and darted in his dragonfly way into the corridor and tapped softly at mrs ducksmith's door she opened it he put his finger to his lips madame he whispered bringing to bear on her all the mocking magnetism of his eyes if you value your happiness you will do exactly what i tell you you will obey me implicitly you must not ask questions pack your trunks at once in ten minutes time the porter will come for them she looked at him with a scared face but what am i going to do you are going to revenge yourself on your husband but i don't want to she replied piteously i do said he begin chere madame every moment is precious in a state of stupefied terror the poor woman obeyed him he saw her start seriously on her task and then went downstairs where he held a violent and gesticulatory conversation with the landlord and with a man in a green baize apron summoned from some dim lair of the hotel after that he lit a cigarette and smoked feverishly walking up and down the pavement in ten minutes time his luggage with that of mrs ducksmith was placed upon the cab mrs ducksmith appeared trembling and tear-stained in the vestibule the man in the green baize apron knocked at mr ducksmith's door and entered the room i have come for the baggage of monsieur said he baggage what baggage asked mr ducksmith sitting up i have descended the baggage of monsieur pujol said the porter in a stumbling english and of madame and put them in a cab and i naturally thought monsieur was going away too going away he rubbed his eyes glared at the porter and dashed into his wife's room it was empty he dashed into aristide's room it was empty too 
shrieking inarticulate anathema he rushed downstairs the man in the green baize apron following at his heels not a soul was in the vestibule no cab was at the door mr ducksmith turned upon his stupefied satellite where are they they must have gone already i filled the cab perhaps monsieur pujol and madame have gone before to make arrangements where have they gone to in Perigueux, there is nowhere to go to with baggage but the railway station a decrepit vehicle with a gaudy linen canopy hove in sight mr ducksmith hailed it as the last victims of the flood must have hailed the ark he sprang into it and drove to the station there in the salle d'entrée he found aristide mounting guard over his wife's luggage he hurled his immense bulk at his betrayer you blackguard where is my wife monsieur said aristide puffing a cigarette sublimely impudent and debonair i decline to answer any questions your wife is no longer your wife you offered me a thousand pounds to take her away i am taking her away i did not deign to disturb you for such a trifle as a thousand pounds but since you are here he smiled engagingly and held out his curved palm mr ducksmith foamed at the corners of the small mouth that disappeared into the bloodhound jowls my wife he shouted if you don't want me to throw you down and trample on you a band of loungers railway officials peasants and other travellers awaiting their trains gathered round as the altercation was conducted in english which they did not understand they could only hope for the commencement of physical hostilities my dear sir said aristide i do not understand you for twenty years you hold an innocent and virtuous woman under an infamous suspicion she meets a sympathetic soul and you come across her pouring into his ear the love and despair of a lifetime you have more suspicion you tell me you will give me a thousand pounds to go away with her i take you at your word and now you want to stamp on me ma foi it is not reasonable mr ducksmith seized him by the lapels of his coat a gasp of expectation went around the crowd but aristide recognized an agonized appeal in the eyes now bloodshot my wife he said hoarsely i want my wife i can't live without her give her back to me where is she you had better search the station said aristide the heavy man unconsciously shook him in his powerful grasp as a child might shake a doll give her to me give her to me i say she won't regret it you swear that said aristide with lightning quickness i swear it by god where is she aristide disengaged himself waved his hand airily towards perigueux and smiled blandly in the salon of the hotel waiting for you to prostrate yourself on your knees before her mr ducksmith gripped him by the arm come back with me if you're lying i'll kill you the luggage queried aristide confound the luggage said mr ducksmith and dragged him out of the station a cab brought them quickly to the hotel mr ducksmith bolted like an obese rabbit into the salon a few moments afterwards aristide entering found them locked in each other's arms they started alone for england that night and aristide returned to the directorship of the agence pujol but he took upon himself enormous credit for having worked a miracle one thing i can't understand said i after he told me the story is what put this sham elopement into your crazy head what did you see when you looked into mr ducksmith's bedroom ah mon vieux i did not tell you if i had told you you would not have been surprised at what i did i saw a sight that would have melted the heart of a stone 
i saw ducksmith wallowing on his bed and sobbing as if his heart would break it filled my soul with pity i said if that mountain of insensibility can weep and sob in such agony it is because he loves and it is i aristide who have reawakened that love then said i why on earth didn't you go and fetch mrs ducksmith and leave them together he started from his chair and threw up both hands mon dieu cried he you english you are a charming people but you have no romance you have no dramatic sense i will help myself to a whisky and soda End of chapter seven